Welcome to the Period Queen podcast. My name is Lucy Peach and I want you to have your greatest period ever. Well, here we are. Final episode. Hey, look, don't be sad. Chin up, tiger. Remember, this was just a cool little introduction to help you on your way to learning about harnessing your cycle. And there's loads more information in the Period Queen book, available wherever you get books, including Kmart and Big W, as I so proudly tooted in the last episode. But please do favour the heroes at your local independent bookshops. Rich with over 60,000 years of care and wisdom for this place, I want to acknowledge again that I am so blessed to be speaking on the lands of the Wajak Noongar people. This podcast, it's been such a pleasure to make, particularly this episode. It's a corker. We're day 21, and I'll be speaking with Australia's most eminent girly feminist, Clementine Ford, about her first period, being pregnant, getting creative, getting hungry, getting witchy, because we are pre-menstrual, baby. Before I get stuck in, I also want to give a quick shout out to Murdoch Books, Moddy Body Period Pants, all the special guests I've had since episode one, and Terry Bellum and everyone at Q Sound. Without these wonderful people, I wouldn't have been able to support you as you read and or bleed and explore the superpowers that live within each of the four hormonal phases. So thank you. So you're day 21, but how did we get here? Let's do a speedy recap. First up, the dream phase. Day one, first day of your period, flatlined hormone levels. You need to give yourself rest and self-care and think of it as an investment for what's to come. Time to ponder, to plan and to pause. You've got a big month coming at you and it starts to roll in at around day five. We emerged from the menstrual cave with a galvanised inner grit, ready and recharged. Look out. Enter the do phase. Usually the longest phase of your cycle, this pre-ovulatory time is fueled by rising estrogen and it gets you where you want to go. So make sure you're pointed in the right direction. Stay focused, fierce and hydrated. This is the best time to get organised, be productive and to tackle new projects. And then, after a mid-cycle moment of testosterone, you reach your summit. And so begins the give phase. It swings in after ovulation at around day 14, 15 or 16-ish, depending on your cycle length. And this third phase is a real sweet spot. With piles of progesterone paving the way and an estrogen top-up, It's juicy, abundant, connective, and it has you saying yes and feeling good to and about pretty much anyone or thing. It's a big time. The best time to work on relationships, to collaborate on group projects, and to plan celebrations. And then, after sharing and gorging on the fruits of your labour, your give glow wears thin, and we prepare for descent. Which brings us exactly right here. Dun, 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 to the premenstrual phase, which starts at about day 21 ish until you bleed again. My friends, gird your loins and gather the last of your fucks. Before we paint the town red again, we're going in. Rather, we're going all the way down. 
Today's episode is dedicated to the take phase. Would the final phase please stand up? Anyone? Oh, what's that? You, you, sorry? Oh, you can't stand. You can't stand what? Oh, you can't stand anything. Um, day 26? Well, that's understandable. So how does it feel? Once I saw a comment online from someone who said of my cycle synopsis, yeah, these phases all sound great, but why didn't you talk about the phase where you want to kill someone? Well, babe, this is it. As your hormone levels plummet, things don't feel so dreamy. Conveniently packaged in a one-size-fits-all poo-coloured poncho, this phase is also known as the premenstrual syndrome. Headaches, increased physical and emotional sensitivity, lethargy, bloating, breakouts, cravings, it goes on. And for around 1 in 20 women and people with periods, it's as if being premenstrual is amplified to the nth degree, taking on a more severe form known as premenstrual dysphoric disorder, or PMDD, where the descent towards menstruation can be devastating. After the joys of ovulation, the presence of premenstrual tension can have you running for cover. Or perhaps your loved ones start running or are just a little bit less loved. So why then? Why this torture? Well, last week, with progesterone up your sleeve, you were all about saying yes. And this week, as you move into a hormonal vacuum, progesterone and estrogen disappear fast. You're less likely to feel pro towards anything and more inclined to say no to any and or everything. And with good reason. Have you ever seen a mother cat with seven kittens hanging off her nipples and there comes a point where she's just like, get off you fucks, I've had it, I want my nipples back. Being premenstrual has this kind of energy and whether you mother or not, you've just had a phase after ovulation that is very mothery, caring, nurturing and now it's time to move on from that. Not forever, but just for now. Think about it. You're about to let go of the possibility of life. You've spent weeks building up this beautiful endometrial lining and now you are literally about to bring down walls. You've done the doing, you've given all the giving and now it's time for you to take whatever it is that you need before you start the whole thing again. And while it's different for everyone, what we all know too well is that society is practically blind to cycles. We're expected to be the same every day when we're actually not. And therein lies the real headache. Because while the world would much rather you keep on doing and giving thanks very much, it's this, when no one knows what's actually going on inside of you, it's this exact expectation and pressure to be somewhere that you biologically aren't that gives you the mother of all migraines. Which is why I'll also remind you retrospectively not to do too much compulsive emotional spending in the post-ovulatory give phase because it's here, when you're premenstrual, in the take phase, that you'll really pay for it, with crippling interest. So how do we use this phase? What are these so-called benefits? If you're making a, I just sucked on a lemon face right now, and wondering where the pearls are in this pile of premenstrual shit, I really feel you. There's no doubt about it, this can be the most challenging time. 
But thank God there's a better alternative to gritting your teeth or feeling overwhelmed. First, knowledge is power. Stay informed. Track your cycle. Otherwise, when this phase creeps up on you, and it will, even though it happens every month, it'll be like, surprise, lady, I'm back. And you'll be like, oh my God, where did you come from? And it'll be carrying a shopping trolley of damage if you're not ready for it. However, if you know when it's coming, you can plan. You can give it some time and some space. And then you are more likely to find joy and power in this part of yourself. We've all got a little inner witch. Let the witch be witchy. It's all about building a sturdy scaffold around yourself. Because at this point in your cycle, you really have two choices. You can come down the mountain the good way or the shit way. Otherwise known as the shit way and the less shit way. But one thing is for sure. What goes up really must come down. So don't be afraid of your depths, of your mystery, of your mankiest magic. Make friends with it and take what you need to make the most of it. There is so much to be gained from tuning in and channeling this more pointy kind of power. And I dedicated the most lengthy chapter of my book to doing just that in all manner of ways. But there are two flags I've chosen to fly today. Did you Number one, there are benefits to your heightened crap scene capacity. Now there's a good chance that on some level you've internalised the message that at this time of the month you are plagued with a syndrome, that whatever is bothering you is just because of your hormones, that your feelings aren't to be trusted and that this part of your cycle is to be blamed when things go wrong. But what if, instead of blaming this part of your cycle, you saw it as a chance to listen to the canary in the coal mine? Maybe it's just my hormones. Or maybe I've been putting up with something all month long and now finally, perhaps all of a sudden, I can't stand it a second longer. And that voice deep down that has one fuck left to give protects you from putting up with endless crap. It asks you to claim your space, your feelings. It asks you to clear the way of any crap so that next week, you might be more able to bleed in peace. And while you wouldn't want to give it a megaphone and let it drive you all month long, this is the moment when it comes to the surface and demands your attention. Not every red flag will keep waving in the wind. And actually, this isn't the greatest time to deal with the red flags, but it is the best time to notice them. So write them down and then have another look at them once you get your period. If it still stings then, it's definitely crap. Most importantly, don't use your crap seeing capacity to examine your thighs or your hair or the way your boob closest to the bed looks when you're lying on your side. You really need to watch yourself talk this week and aim that critical focus somewhere constructive. Which brings me to my next point. Number two, use this time to be alone with your own magic. Channel some of your energy here to be creative. And whether it's singing, gardening, dancing or graffiti, just do the thing that makes you feel like you. I used to use this energy to try and fix ex-boyfriends, 
but now this is my favourite time to write songs. And some of them are terrible and never see the light of day, but the important bit is that I just spent some time here, making something instead of using that critical energy on things not within my control. In fact, all of the songs you've heard throughout this series were written during a premenstrual week while I was away. I took my home recording set up, my journals with all of the things that I'd been collecting that I wanted to write songs about for these phases, and I spent five days in a cabin in autumn and I used my most no-fucks-given mindset to get making. The song for this phase is called Kali's Coming. Kali, K-A-L-I, is the Hindu goddess of destruction. And I wrote her into it because I wanted to champion the beauty and strength that comes from this phase. When we were recording this song, my guitarist Luke Duck spent ages fiddling with his pedals to get the solo just right, to get exactly the right amount of whine, crunch, grit, moan and bone bending. It is a power not to be trifled with. Unless, of course, you love trifle and you feel called to make one and then eat the whole thing. Clementine Ford took some time out of her day from ass-kicking the patriarchy and giving makeup tutorials to speak with me. We first met when I did my greatest period ever in Melbourne a few years ago. She knows the importance of feeling angry and using it, which is why I chose to speak with her for this episode about the take phase where anger isn't an uncommon feature. Great. Pressed it. Clementine, I'm so glad to be speaking with you. I'm so glad to be speaking with you. <laughs> I Look, I'm a bit nervous, I won't lie. This is my first ever podcast interview. Oh, my God, I feel so honoured. I asked Clem about her very first period and she took me through a menstrual arc, prefacing her story by acknowledging that, of course, everyone has a very different one. I appreciate that there are lots of people who bleed out there who... Mm. care very little for it. Um, I couldn't possibly imagine what it must be mm. like to have endometriosis, oh, no. for example, and to, to live with that kind of pain. Um, so I understand that for some people bleeding is not a positive experience and the kind of traditional earth mother narrative of, you know, free bleeding under the light of the full moon and dancing around and being connected to our foremothers, et cetera, et cetera, is a bit like, well, mm. fuck off. Um, but for me personally, my personal experience with my period has been extremely positive and I really, really was desperate to get it when I was little. I yearned for all of those trappings of and the tropes of um, entering womanhood, you know, being able to wear your first lipstick. And, I mean, with all of the weight and baggage that has been given to the word girly and how it's been denigrated throughout history because, of course, anything that, that girls and women like is just reduced to bullshit and frivolity and nothing nothing that we turn our attention or um, care to could possibly have any kind of broader interest or importance. But having said that, you know, and in, and in being one of, one of the fiercest bloody man-hating feminists in Australia, I'm a very girly girl and the final missing piece in my head that would deliver me into womanhood or into adulthood was the commencement of my period. And so I remember 
you know, wanting to be initiated into this club that seemed to me to, to not just be incredibly exciting but that also seemed to be like shrouded in secrets and somehow like by being initiated into that club and that group of people you would ascend into some higher knowledge. And I remember feeling I woke up one morning and I had some cramping and I woke up the next day and I had a pinkish discharge and I remember sitting on the toilet looking down at it and just being flushed with (laughs) pride and like it was a moment where I just thought, yes, it's happened, I've arrived. But then anyway that night my mum came into the, the living room and she said, Charlotte, have you been flushing your pads down the toilet? Charlotte's my sister. And she looked up and she said no. I mean, my sister was 16 by that point. She'd been bleeding for a long time. And everyone in the room, my brother, my dad, my sister and my mum just flashed their face towards me. And my mother said, Clementine? And I, I sort of like looked very small and sheepish and I said, yes, that was me. I, I got my period today. And my mum took me into the kitchen and gave me a big hug and... Uh, you know, actually she had her period at the time as well and this is how open she was about it, pulled her pants down and said, well, this is what it looks like. And I'm like, I know. Another cycle that often pops up when you're talking about menstruation is that of pregnancy and birth, and it did here. For Clem, these two rites of passage are connected. And I so loved hearing that when little Clementine got her first period, she felt powerful. Yeah, I did. And actually, funnily enough, now that you mention that, it reminds me of when I gave birth and felt in that moment, and you, I'm sure you feel similarly, felt in that moment of birth that I was connected back mm. through history to every single person who had ever been through that experience. I thought at the time, at the time I'm a big Buffy fan and I thought at the time of, of that kind of like being connected back, back, back to the first Slayer in history, this long line of people who'd been through this incredibly transformative initiation into life-giving and life-creation and suffered because of it in numerous ways and were part of something that I still don't really understand. Well, and surely it's not a stretch to say and it's certainly not anything new to say that this is one of the primary reasons why patriarchy has hated what womanhood represents so much is that patriarchy has established men and masculinity as the creator of all life. Patriarchy and theology, Christianity, most deities are perceived to be male. Say for so many thousands of years as well, there would have been no Mm. understanding of why we had this power, but we had it. And this was, it was a power that they couldn't conquer and couldn't understand and so they had to make it shameful. They also reappropriated it. I mean, there's this whole idea that if mm. you think about circumcision, Jesus yeah. on the cross, bleeding, this whole idea of blood being powerful. It's ironic, isn't it? Blood was powerful if it was from a man's body, but ours, our blood, became shameful and a way to keep women away from power. In governments, churches, where you especially can't go when you're bleeding because that's when you're at your most powerful, obviously. We got into a discussion around period power and how this can still be denigrated. But make no mistake, it is powerful, especially now in the take phase. So if you feel called to explore it, whatever that looks like, go there. I love that we're talking about this as well because, um, you know, like I said, for a lot of people this is kind of like woo-woo, they're not interested, it's a bit too hippy-dippy for them, and that is totally fine. And I would never say that 
this is like a fundamental part of our joint experiences. But for me, I do feel really attracted to that kind of coven-like atmosphere of talking about these things and and honouring them and acknowledging them. And there is a part of me that would fucking love to dance under the light of the full moon and smear myself in menstrual blood. Um, and, you know, we're also made to feel a little bit embarrassed about that. But it's just another example of how things that women do together or things that we care about or things that we acknowledge as important are dismissed as meaningless. We talked about how this is changing due to the successes of feminism and all kinds of women being in control of their narratives, telling their stories and showing them as they really are. On our way to talking about being premenstrual, we talked about the parallels between this time of the month and the time before giving birth. And I've quoted her before, but I, I really love Jana Stajelska's. She's a, a midwife and a birth educator and she wrote this incredible piece called The Last Days of Mothering. And it's about that period of time in that very final period of pregnancy where you're waiting for the baby to arrive and you're sort of in this perpetual waiting room of anxiety and mm. fear and and wanting to meet the child that you've been growing for the last nine months. Um, and she says, I believe that this is more than biological. It is spiritual. To give birth whether at home in a bathtub with candles and family or in a surgical suite with machines and a neonatal team, a woman must go to the place between this world and the next, to that thin membrane between here and there, to the place where life comes from, to the mystery, in order to reach over to bring forth the child that is hers. The heroic tales of Odysseus are with us each ordinary day. This round woman is not going into battle, but she is going to the edge of her being where every resource she has will be called on to assist in this journey. Because it is so beautiful and resonated with me so strongly. I read it before I gave birth when I was in that weird period of waiting and I've returned to it so often because it seems to me to summarise that experience so well and so much of what we associate with womanhood, that this reaching into a space that no one else can follow us into and finding strength and finding what is ours to bring back with us. I think this is especially true when you're premenstrual. Going through the take phase can feel like a bit of a battle with yourself, with those around you, the whole world. You notice everything that is wrong and the list can be long. And I love this, this idea of that within us we have this place that we have to go to to find our strength. And whether you ever find yourself getting ready to birth babies or not, you might know this feeling from being premenstrual. It can feel dark and frightening. No one can really be there with you and the only way out is through it. But while you're there, you reach into yourself to find what is yours to bring back. I wrote a few lines about exactly this in the song that I wrote for the dream phase, Feel It, which begins with a few moments of reflecting on what came before. Coming home from a heroine's quest Ask Clem what day she was on right now. Well, you would be the expert on what, where I am in my cycle because I'm still not sure of those different phases, but I do know that I'm due to start bleeding next Thursday. 
Actually, I should tell you now that I'm on the marina. So I, uh, I don't know if it's artificial bleeding on the marina, but it's definitely a lot lighter than it was. Um, but even before I had the marina put in, I was pretty regular every 20 day, 28 days. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm five days away from beginning the bleed. Again, the marina can certainly stop you from ovulating, but for some people, ovulation and therefore the whole cycle still occurs. Clem was day 23 when we spoke, mid-take phase, and she shared a little bit about how she feels when she's premenstrual. Usually about a week before I begin to bleed, I have a, a, you know, I'm just ravenously hungry Mm, for everything. mm. And so I was sort of eating the other day and I was like, why am I so hungry? And then I checked the diary and realised, oh, you tourist. I want to jump in here to remind you that this is normal now when your metabolism is at its highest. So feed yourself. And, you know, I get really um, clumsy mm. um, and not in that sort of like cute rom-com kind of, oh, she's just so clumsy, isn't it cute and gorgeous? And then I get really mad about being clumsy mm. because being clumsy is not cute. It's annoying. Mm. Um, mm. Especially when you bang your head or you stub your toe. Yeah, or just like dropping things. Mm. Um, and because my your, your nerves are a bit more fractious mm. as well, the irritation of being clumsy is, yeah, it's, it's sort of a, yeah, it's like being in a heightened state of anxiety all the time, I think. I used to get some quite, or I went through a period where I had a really terrible premenstrual, um, I don't think it was PMDD because that's obviously a serious condition that, you don't just flit in and out of. But I guess some aspects of that, and it gave me an insight into what uh, people who have PMDD must feel like all the time, Mm. which is terrifying. Um, Because I would just get flashes of last like a second or two seconds, but in that moment, just in the deepest, deepest pit of despair and a blackness would just settle over me that felt, almost like I could, I would never know what happiness felt like again. I would never know what it felt like to feel at ease. Um, and, you know, content note, in those moments as well, I would get a sudden and deeply despairing feeling of uh, needing to end it all mm. because how could you possibly live in this moment of fear and horror and terrible self-hatred? Yeah, really, really frightening. Mm. And then I would kind of two seconds later, the longest two seconds of my life, I would kind of emerge back into the light and think, well, fuck, that was terrifying and also, oh, I'm about to start bleeding. Mm. Yeah, there's some huge feelings that you face then that it's like, um, yeah, a real dark night of the soul moment. Yeah. Mm. But, you know, the other amazing thing as well is that it's one of those things, all of patriarchal history has loved to make women and people who bleed into the other mm. because of what our bodies mm-hmm. are capable of doing. Mm-hmm. And even now, you know, pop culture jokes about, oh, can't let a woman in power because she'll, she'll start a war in 10 seconds as if men haven't been responsible for starting almost all of the wars in history. Yes, I realise Maggie Thatcher invaded the Falklands, but almost all of the wars in history. The fact that we do have this kind of what feels at times like an erratic hormonal system that takes us on a wild roller coaster of emotions and yet still manage to function very well and 
soundly in society whilst also being responsible for the majority of society's care, mm. unpaid labour, is just testament, I think, to our incredible abilities as people that we are not recognised for or honoured in any way for, but in lots of ways actually feared for. And it's a little bit chicken and egg, isn't it? Because, you know, you talk about that flash of just feeling absolute despair and unease and think about how when you're premenstrual, it's like your your crap seeing capacity is just at an all-time high. And when you think about the work that you do, you're so involved in calling out crap. And so, you know, the weight of that at that time of the month when you are more fractious, you are more sensitive, obviously you can still climb mountains and fly planes and do all the things that you want to do because we always have, but it is just that extra weight. And, mm. you know, you, you talked about how all of the elements of being a woman have been othered or demonised. And what is the function of actually feeling that sort of um, heightened sensitivity is to be able to call out the crap. And I also think that there's value in being in touch with your emotions mm. that has been discredited throughout history because they're seen as being very, it's, it's seen as being a very female trait mm. and anything that women do is bullshit mm. in the eyes of history and society. We've long been admonished for being on this crazy roller coaster, as it were, but if you zoom out, you'll see that your emotional changes are pretty predictable and that your zero tolerance for crap right now is a necessary protective factor. The fact that we've been pressured to minimise our feelings, especially here in this week, is gaslighting on a gargantuan scale. As I said, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about this phase with Clem was for insight on how to channel these big difficult feelings that you can feel here. When I asked her if she does this and how, her answer kind of surprised me. Clem's advice? Be angry whenever you like. And my two cents for the 20th time is to write down what's pissing you off and get back to doing what makes you feel like you. I feel like I already gave myself permission to be angry a long time ago in a way that a lot of women don't feel like they're allowed to be angry and certainly feel uh, nervous about sharing that anger. So the whole of my cycle outside of that time, I feel like I can channel my anger productively and tap into it as a resource and it's in that moment where I feel like my anger is wild and uncontrollable, that it's being stimulated by things around me that just, that everything, everything in my kind of self is heightened and more susceptible to irritations, that I actually feel really out of control. And I don't like that feeling. I hate feeling out of control. So one of the things that I really don't like about that, that intensity of emotions is that I find myself snapping at my son you know, or being irritated at mm. the clumsiness, like I said, you know, like that I can't hold things properly. I keep dropping mm. things or the mess. Like you'll suddenly sort of be like, why is the place so fucking messy? Mm. And I, I hate mm. feeling overwhelmed by that anger. Again, it is a challenging time. But in regards to parenting while premenstrual, I could talk about mother guilt for hours here, but I just want to suggest that when you're faced with caring for your small, beautiful children who perhaps haven't developed empathy yet, or the ability to wipe their own bums, for those few days where you just cannot, I've often thought that actually that's so important because that's the moment every single month when they get to see that you're not superhuman and that you just cannot be everything to everybody all of the time. 
In this way, you model to your kids what you need and you help them to learn self-care too. So, creativity can be a great outlet. Not always easy if you have small children or not much time. But when you can, find a window to just be with your own self, your own magic, and to use it, it can help with feeling fractious. For me, that's the sign. When everything around me starts giving me the shits, ah, I know what I need now. Time out to make. Feeling unsupported now is especially hard. And this is where we got into the ups and downs of the creativity that comes with being premenstrual in the take phase for Clementine. It was watching your show that really educated me as to these four different parts of your cycle and the creativity and the ebb and the flow. And I remember coming away from that going, just feeling completely gobsmacked and enriched and full of kind of like this new awareness about my life. And and I think I've said to you a couple of times since then, um, you know, oh, I'm in this point, I can tell that I'm in this point of my cycle because I'm feeling all of this creativity. And I've been able to kind of clock it a lot more now that sometimes I worry uh, or I have worried in the past that I'm, I'm entering manic stages, you know, and I've obviously wrestled with anxiety and in mental illnesses, so mm-hmm. many of us, mental ill health, I should say, as so many of us have done. But now I think I recognise that that feeling of like manic productivity has, it, it is overwhelmingly felt positive and not detrimental to my to my health or well-being and that it probably is related to that kind of surge in creativity that you're talking about. And this last week in particular, I've been like making all the things. You know, you're, you're coming into this metaphorical winter, if you like. Before you let go, it's like in autumn, you know, every time there's a sunny day, you get out there and you take your shirt off and you'll make the most of it. And you mm. just, it's like you want to square away all the loose ends and you want to kind of get all the good bits from that month and just milk them and mine them and get the most out of it before you kind of, ugh. And I think there's this idea, you know, that when you're premenstrual, you kind of, you know, you don't want to do anything or you, I don't know, it's just so sort of um, denigrated almost as much as having a period, I think, you know, in sort of pop culture and mm. what have you. But you still do have a lot of energy. For me, anyway, it's it just that you don't want to spend it on other people necessarily mm. and that sort of um, drive if you can, if you can channel it into creativity, is it's so rewarding, you know. And I, I guess so much of that is around, um, you know, how you spend that energy. And you know, for me anyway, being in my twenties, I didn't have a sort of um, creative outlet that was my regular go-to for how I spent that kind of. Oh, I want to make stuff. Mm. And so, you know, I would kind of analyze my relationships or my boyfriend or clean the skirting boards with a toothbrush and then I'd feel fucked off because it's like there is all this stuff in you that is trying to get somewhere and Mm. be turned into something amazing that is part of you and then when you spend it on cleaning I mean look sometimes you need to clean before you can be creative and there's a whole kind of psychology Mm. around that but it's like when you don't get to spend any part of yourself on that part of yourself that you're talking about maybe it's mania, maybe it's just incredible creativity, then it's like there's a real kind of, um, that's where the rage comes from for me. It's like, oh my God. you fucking deny me and now I have to, well, I literally just blew out my garage band recording. 
I feel so seen right now. Yeah, I just listening to you say that and put it in terms that I'd, I'd never really thought of before, strong, strong recognition. Um, mm. And again, it's sort of like in terms of history and patriarchy as well, it, it enrages me anew that that space for, for our creativity and for our productivity has never been prioritised um, mm-hmm. because we have been put to work ensuring that men are given that space for their creativity and productivity because they don't have to worry about, I mean, historically and broadly, they don't have to worry about whether or not the fucking house is clean so they can sit down and write their great American novel, you know, or who's, who's taking care dinner. of the kids so that mm. they can go into the, into the their painting room and paint or they can go off and be like a great politician mm. or mm. whatever it might be, you know. And mm. th- it's just concerns that don't have to be taken mm. into account because the the facilitation of their creative output is handled by a woman. It's catered, yeah. yeah. I remember reading, um, you know, an excellent interview with Anne Mann about, excuse me, and I, and I Anne Mann and uh, Robert Mann are, you know, eminent academics and, and Robert's a wonderful person. I don't think that this was an indictment on Robert. It's not the way that I read it anyway, but Anne was talking about, how at some point after, you know, they had small children and, you know, she fulfilled the role of mother in the way that we all do. And at some point after those children had had grown up and left home, she was writing her book and, you know, she she said that whenever people were met with the knowledge that while she was writing, Robert was fulfilling the household duties and making food for her and taking care of that side of affairs that they were always so effusively full of praise for him. Oh, isn't it wonderful that he's doing this for you and aren't you so lucky to have him? And I remember, in fact, I've got it, just hold one second, I've got it, that bit in my book because the way that she put it was uh, was really good and I think good for people to, to hear. Um, hmm. Here it is. So in an essay for the monthly titled The Wife and Times, Anne Mann recalls a recent period during which her husband assumed primary domestic care responsibilities while she finished writing her book. She was annoyed to discover that some people found this arrangement, quote, amazing. As she wrote, quote, my husband taking over the care role seemed a reversal of the proper order of things, like a waterfall suddenly flowing upwards. In earlier times when I took on that role, under more exacting circumstances with small children to care for, reactions ranged from condescending to dismissive. I cannot recall a single instance of tears shed in sentimental gratitude. Hmm. I mean, how many of us can relate to that? There is a lot to be angry about. So if you're feeling it, especially now in your premenstrual, rest assured it is not just your hormones. Because there is a lot that is wrong. There are so many injustices that we grow accustomed to every single day and we do need to notice them, to flag them, to speak up and use our power to face them. That is what the world needs, for everyone to use the power that they have. I finished the interview with Clementine Ford by saying, tell me, what do you most wish for premenstrual people? Be respected and Mm. honoured for the incredible majesty of what their bodies are about to do and go through. Mm. Yeah, let's keep aiming at that. Sounds good to me. Last question. You're premenstrual now. You said you're going to get your period on about Thursday. 
Um, is there anything that you might do in the next few days to sort of prepare for having a good period? One thing I've been feeling is agitation at the clutter in my house. Mm. So I'll probably go through a phase of putting things away, cleaning, getting rid of things and and then being able to kind of bleed in peace. Mm. Mm, that just makes me feel good hearing you say that. Bleeding peace. And then mm. as soon as the blood starts, then it's it's almost like I've lost like three castles full of negative <laughs> energy and air and just the release is so, oh, just even thinking about it, it's like, oh, give me that release. It's like a drug. Mm, mm. Yeah, you kind of get back into your body, don't you? I know the night before I get my period I just feel like, I, can, I can't get comfortable, I can't sleep and I literally just feel like my skin is mm. annoying me. Like I just want to get mm. out of my Unpeel. skin. Just just get it off. It's like, yeah. 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 So, yeah, I'm day two now and it's... Uh, You're feeling pretty good. Oh, fuck. I, and I wrote about this a little bit that, you know, I think for me if I've been holding on particularly... Um, you know, because in an ideal world maybe we have, you know, time to meditate and exercise and masturbate and eat green smoothies and do all the things and then, you know, you have less side effects when you're premenstrual. But, yeah, particularly now um, and at any time in your life when, you know, things are bigger than um, normal, you maybe do things that um, aren't conducive to having a great premenstrual phase and that's what I did. I didn't exercise for ages. I didn't meditate Meditate for ages. Um, I scrolled through news for ages. I had quite a few Negronis and I started just feeling like this crunchy, overwhelming, like, and just, you know, tighter and tighter and tighter. And so whenever that happens, I've noticed my cycle kind of um, drags on. It's like, no. You're not getting the release until you do the things. And, yeah, so I had like a 32-day cycle this month and, um, yeah, I really resisted it. It was like I was really rebelling against releasing and being soft. I was just like really bound up and um, a little bit stuck. But, um, yeah, Mm. I burnt my old manuscript in the fire and didn't cook for a few days and, yeah. (laughs) Listen to Laura Marling, had a good cry, yeah. and then it came. Love Laura. Love Laura, yeah. Well, is there anything you want to talk about? Have you got any questions for me? Have I spent you? Um, I feel like, I feel pretty good having gotten all of that off of my chest or out of my cunt. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love that you're yeah. doing this, though. I think it's going to be really meaningful for a lot of people. Mm, thank you. Thanks for being my first <laughs> well, I hope it was a good experience. It was I, amazing. I hope I, I hope I gave good podcast. <laughs> you gave great podcast, Clementine. It was, uh, it was really great. Side note, Clem gives her own good podcast called The Big Sister Hotline and it is wonderful, so go there next. Glad to be in the bleeding circle of life with you, Lucy. On that note, the bleeding circle of life, thanks for bloody well listening.
When you're premenstrual, you are not crazy. Not crazy. And if you get to know and fall in love with this part of yourself, you will discover silver linings and hidden treasures. And my hope is that in having this whole conversation, all conversations about periods and the menstrual cycle will get easier, no matter what kind of cycle you have. And before I leave you, I want to acknowledge anyone listening who used to bleed but no longer does. Just like it says in the Native American proverb, at menopause, you have become your power. And we need you and we appreciate you. Thank you for paving the way for us. To the men listening, or two of you, thank you. We can't restore the power back to periods without you. We bloody well love you. And if you're listening right now as a trans man with periods, we bloody well love you too. And I know that for you, this is an imperfect resource, but I hope it's been helpful and I hope you feel powerful too. To everyone who has a period, take your crown and swing it. We all need to practice our power all month long. It's time for everyone to have their greatest period ever. So turn your face to the sun and toss your mane, even if it's imaginary and even if you can't see the sun. With every phase, in every cycle, you have an opportunity to get to know yourself and the ways that you are uniquely wonderful. We're made this way for a reason. There is a time to dream, a time to do, a time to give and a time to take. And the time to start noticing is now. Whatever day you're on, be where you are and just notice. What day are you now? What do you need? How can you best channel your power today? I want to thank Modibody again for their bloody excellent period pants that come in sizes and ranges to suit everybody for every kind of bleed. And also to Red School. If you're digging period power and you want to go even deeper, visit redschoolonline.net and do a short course in menstrual cycle awareness. And don't forget to use Peach for your discount. And finally... Visit periodqueen.com.au for more information and the songs. You can also find me on Instagram at Lucy's Peaches and have a bloody great life. Thanks for coming and I'll speak to you in 10 years about menopause.